0: welcome to the face yoga expert podcast coming up you know quite a lot of my clients are women and women have to you know
1: they're generally bearing the brunt of everything aren't they Mm -hmm. so they're working from home homeschooling and also being the emotional containers for not just themselves but everyone else and they tend to do it by pushing their own feelings and their own health to one side which Again, why is that our model of, you know, being a mother or a nurturer means you have to do it at a cost of your own health. You know, that's like, how did we get to that stage? So quite a lot of what I do is kind of re-educate people about how looking after themselves isn't selfish.
0: I'm your host, Danielle Collins, and I'm the world-leading face yoga expert, best-selling author of the book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, and creator of the international teacher training program, The Danielle Collins Face Yoga Method. 17 years ago, I healed myself from chronic illness, and I've spent the last 15 years teaching, sharing, and serving millions of people in person, on TV, and online to help them look and feel the best version of themselves. This podcast is about giving you simple, effective, natural tips and advice and sharing knowledge and insight from industry experts. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it on social media as it would mean so much if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast as it allows more people to feel healthier and happier naturally. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This is the Face Yoga Expert podcast. A warm welcome back to this week's episode of the Face Yoga Expert podcast. My guest this week is de Beljoni. She is known as the nervous system whisperer. She's a somatic movement coach, she's a yoga teacher, and she has such a passion for sharing the healing benefits of movement. So within this podcast, we talk about everything to do with the nervous system, signs that we may be completely exhausted and burnt out, how to rectify this. We talk about really getting into understanding about what your body needs, how your movement should be led by how you feel, how we can heal our nervous system. We talk about anxiety. We talk about physical symptoms. We talk a lot about breath and movement and purpose. And we talk about Nahi's wellness routines, um, what she does for her clients and what she does for herself as well. So it's such an informative episode. If you're into wellness or yoga, or you just love hearing self-care tips, I know you're going to absolutely love this podcast. And before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to tell you about my 10-day course. Now, you may have done my 10-day course before, but you may not have. Now, this is not a teacher training course. This is for personal use. But even if you are doing my teacher training course, it's a great add-on to that. But the 10-day course is 10 minutes per day of full face yoga routine. So you're led through those, 10 minutes on video. And every day you're doing a slightly different routine. But what it does is it motivates you to do your face yoga practice every day, to do it in a structured way and to work all parts of the face as well. And as part of the 10-day course, you get a full digital copy of my book. And I should say my first book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, because I'll tell you in a moment about my second book. And you have the videos for life. So even if you miss a day or two, it's not a problem. If you want to repeat your 10 days again, you can do. And of course, by having my book there, you have all the exercise he in digital format there, as well as all those tips on skincare, wellness, affirmations, and yoga. So you can just go to faceyogaexpert.com shop, or go to the link below in the show notes, and you'll see about that 10-day course. I would highly recommend it. And just a little mention of my second book, which launches 28th of September this year, 2021, but you can pre-order it now. So you can pre-order on Amazon. It is called The Face Yoga Journal, and you can pre-order from anywhere in the world. I just received my first copy of it this week and I am so excited. It's got 52 beautiful face yoga techniques in with gorgeous artwork taking you step by step through. But it's a really interactive book. You have space within the book to log your face yoga practice every day. You have space within the book to write affirmations, your gratitudes, your wellness routine. You get a chance at the end of each week to really evaluate how things have gone that week, what went well, what didn't go well, not only in face yoga, but in your life, in your wellness routines. And the book is very much related to all aspects of holistic and spiritual wellness. So I really bring in things like crystals and colors and chakras in there, and it's designed to be really quick and easy. So if you only want to spend two minutes a day on your wellness and face yoga, then that's what it's designed for. You can do your one-minute recommended face yoga technique for that day and your one-minute wellness ritual for that day. But that's your absolute minimum. If you then want to bring in your full face yoga routine, maybe you want to bring in a full yoga routine, maybe you have lots of different wellness practices, but you really want a way to motivate yourself and also a way to log it to and reflect on that, this journal is designed for that. And plus, it just looks beautiful. So if you want it on your bedside table or on your desk or or on your coffee table, then it is just a gorgeous book to have in your house. So if you just go to faceyogarexpert.com shop, again, you can go to the show notes if you prefer. So let's get into this week's episode with the gorgeous Nahid. Nahid, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. How are you? Hi, Danielle. I'm so well. Thank you so much for asking me. Oh, it's just an absolute pleasure and I just absolutely love what you do and as I've been looking through your website and your social media, it just seems like it's got a, such a wellness vibe and I can see your passion for helping others just oozing through everything you do, which is just fantastic. Oh, thank you.
1: Well, uh, likewise, I'm, I really enjoy watching you popping up. On my different channels, and um, it's really good to have people out there with these happy faces, isn't it? Oh <laughs> happy it faces is. And offering, <laughs> offering things to be of service. I think that's so important. In, in this sort of day and age, you know, and with recent stuff that's going on. So, yeah. So likewise, same for you, Danielle. Thank you Aww. for you and your presence. <laughs>
0: Thank you. And how have you found like the last 18 months or coming up to two years really now, isn't it, of this crazy world we've lived in? I know that you've recently moved house and moved by the sea, but how have you found things sort of personally and professionally, really? I know it's a big question, but it's always oh. interesting for me to, to hear and for the listeners to hear how, how others have navigated their, Way through this tricky time? Well,
1: it's been interesting and it's been um, challenging on a personal level, family things happening that were quite difficult right at the beginning of the lockdown. And then, you know, like all of us, I've got sort of quite vulnerable members of family that I've been quite worried about. And In a funny way, I'm a bit of a homebody, actually. So staying at home, I've got a very rich interior world. I'm always studying or, you know, there's something that I'm doing. I have a good relationship with my husband. So we really like hanging out with each other so actually you know in the it, it it was okay i could i could deal with it quite well because i'm quite used to being in actually i wasn't before it but i was you know I, that being forced to be indoors and not going out to work it i kind of didn't mind it at all actually but it gets a bit wearing doesn't it after a while <laughs> you kind of you kind of think You've sort of made all these sacrifices and then what? And then what's about to open? But professionally, actually, it's been great for me because I had studios in central London and a bit like you managed to do something at the right time so I I sold my business in 2019 and it was called Good Vibes so the studios in central London and I had them for about 13 years and it's funny because I started the business in a recession so I think you know I'm kind of used to overcoming hardships in some way form or other But I was very pleased to have sold it. And then the idea was that I would just, you know, work, do a lot of work in one-to-ones because I'd I'd been teaching classes before then. And a few one-to-ones, but mainly classes at my studios. And so life had changed, had changed quite a bit anyway. So I was going to people's houses and choosing particular areas. So, you know, one day I'd be in Chelsea and then the next day I'd be in Westminster and on and on. So trying to make it work for me. And then suddenly this happened. So I'm sure like everyone else, I kind of lost everything in 24 hours and had to go online really quickly. So I think in about 24 hours, I was like, right, let's get to the bottom of this. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love it because it gives me a lot of time to really hone my craft and think about what I want to do because I'm not having to travel a lot. And also what I found was that you know, where we've all had to rethink who we are, what we do and what's important to us has put people in the right place for my work because it really asks you to explore and and kind of figure out how you respond to things so that you're not having to react really quickly and make decisions really fast. And so what it gives people is it just gives people this real inner resolve or an emotional and kind of physical resilience because I I guess what my thing is really it's like all well very well being muscle fit which of course is important but how about being biologically fit so that we can function really well and we can respond to an ever-changing environment because I think this is you know this is going to be our future.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think it's really interesting how you talk about being biologically fit because that's not talked about enough. And I know Mm. that something which you talk about a lot is the nervous system. You're known as the nervous system whisperer. Mm. And I guess that's a huge part of being biologically fit when we are in a state of calm we're not going around in that fight or flight state we're in that rest and digest state and and our nervous system is is as healthy as possible and i think particularly during these times and i'm sure you've seen it a lot and i know that i've seen it a lot with people i work with people's nervous systems are absolutely exhausted the stress has taken its toll and it starts as little, very small symptoms, maybe physically, maybe mentally, and then it builds up. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. In, In your experience, in your professional experience, what are the signs that you see of people when their nervous system is just burnt out and exhausted?
1: Well, I think I was seeing it in my studios, actually, Danielle, because people would come in and they'd be quite wired. I think wired and tired is a really good um, phrase for all of us generally nowadays because we overstimulate our brains. And our bodies are in a state of collapse. So if we sit down all day and, you know, we're not really holding ourselves up properly because we're not having enough rests or we're not thinking about it. It's almost like, you know, we kind of think like this is head work and I've got to forget about the rest of me to Mm. be able to just, you know, cope with that kind of relentless pressure and relentless work. And I think, in this sort of information age, working eight hours a day at work is is a is a bit too much because your brain can't sustain that level of attention yeah, so i think I think what i'm seeing really is just that people are constantly stimulating their brains, and they're not giving themselves any break at all. So that, you know, even once upon a time, if you were in the post office, you just have to stand in the post office looking, you know, feeling a bit bored and your brain could rest and you could daydream and you could think about other things. Whereas now everyone's on their phone. Mm. and you're still feeding your brain lots and lots of information. So it's having to process a hell of a lot. I kind of think the nervous system is a little bit like a puppy, which I have. <laughs> I've just got a new <laughs> little puppy. Oh. Um, luckily she's sleeping now and <laughs> and you need to give it consistency. So routine, loves routine. It loves you know, being fed at regular times, sleeping at regular times, and also resting from the action so you know we we live in a world don't we where we really lord action, you know, to, to be lazy, to be doing nothing is thought of as lazy, to be constantly filling your um, schedule with lots of different activities, be it work or, you know, social stuff is seen to be thriving, isn't it? And actually it's probably the opposite of that. So I think a really good way of looking at it is if you kind of think about, well, actually the rest prepares you for action. And then it doesn't become this sort of slightly, you know, get out kind of thing. It doesn't become, or or rather it doesn't become a lazy thing. It becomes a really strategic thing of where you have to think about, right, you know, I need to do X, Y, and Z today. So I'm going to break up my day between rest and action. And so, you know, when I had the studios, obviously I I was seeing everybody in this constant state of stimulation and I don't know if you've worked in studios, but it was, you know, if you taught in studios, if that was what you ever did. But I used to really, in an hour class, only have people for about 20 minutes because they'd be coming in so wired. It would take them a long while to kind of really be here and be present. And then they'd be kind of, feeling quite anxious again about hurrying back to work. And I wanted to really deal with that because what I was seeing in my clients was things like skin issues, gut issues, um, not sleeping, not being able to get pregnant, not having periods, and all of the functional stuff that we should be able to do because that's the job, isn't it, of the nervous Mm. system to constantly find homeostasis or balance and rather than doing, you know, millions and millions of chatarangas, you kind of think, well, actually, let's look at this, because I, I don't think you can really thrive unless you have built yourself very good foundations.
0: Absolutely. And I think there's so many just magic points in what you said there. Something I often think about is athletes. You know, they have that really lovely balance between rest and action. And actually, they are one of the very few professions that do that so well. You know, they prioritize sleep, they know exactly what fuel they need for their body. And yes, they are exerting a lot of energy, but then they have whole chunks of time, sometimes days, sometimes weeks, where they're completely resting. All the rest of us don't do that, you know. And even when we think we are resting, we're probably not. We're watching Netflix or we're listening to a podcast or we're reading a book. We're not really resting completely. I
1: I sort of call it a really... A lovely kind of thing of where you're not sort of there's this non reactive space mm. where you're not having to respond to things all of the time, like you know even walking down the street that's a reactive space because you're having to look out for cars and you're having to look out for people and la 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 you're constantly recalibrating and recalculating, Absolutely. but you know maybe if you're in the park or in nature or something, you can just be in this really beautiful space where you can just be, and I think that is something that we've lost because we don't don't treasure it. We don't hold it in any sort of esteem. Of course, everything has changed in the last 15 months because now we are, you know, we've really realised how important our green spaces are and our parks are. Like I lived in a city, you know, all of my life and at the beginning of the lockdown, they closed the park down. It's quite a nice area. And they closed the park down because they, you know, everybody was really unsure about what they should be doing and how the virus spread And of course, there was uproar because lots of us didn't have a garden. And just being able to kind of be in green space was just seen as really important enough for everyone to complain about it. So they opened up the gates. But I remember just thinking that was just so hard. I really felt like a caged animal. And I hadn't really thought about how I use the park and how I use open space. I've just always taken it for granted. And so I think, Everyone's having a bit of a shift, aren't they? Anyone who's able to have a think about it is having a bit of a shift about what they hold dear and what they want to do and how they want to be and who they want to spend time with. Because if everything is draining your resources, then that just leads to burnout. And I think we're being clever where rather than reaching burnout, we're kind of thinking about the steps along the way. But interesting about athletes, I, I was thinking about jockeys actually the other day. I think I must've read something. And I really love how they always get a little bit fatter in off season when they're not training. They allow themselves to have, because you know, their dietary restrictions are so restricted because they've got to be really light and tiny mm. that when they're off off. off of training. They're you know, they can eat what they want, like pasta and da da da. And that, that really made me laugh. And I thought, actually that's kind of how you sort of need to be, don't you? You kind of need yes. to think about, well, I'm on holiday so I can let go a little bit, but really my general diet should be really healthy or good sleep and just to restore yourself from the action, as you say, and actually they're doing something really interesting as well now, aren't they? Where they are recording you, they're able to track your menstrual cycle as well. So you can see peaks and troughs of performance for athletes, which I just think is amazing. Why did they not do that sooner?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I I find that really interesting. A friend of mine was telling me about a book that she read about how actually, if we live a lot more in line with our menstrual cycle, if we can, you know, book our work around that, if we can book our social events around that, then we as women would thrive so much more, you know, because we expect ourselves just to go, go, go 24 7. Whereas actually, we're going through all these peaks and troughs all the time. And there's times when our energy is high and we can take that action and we do want to be around people and we can go a little bit faster pace, but there's also times when our body naturally just wants to allow us just to go a bit slower and to hibernate a little bit. And I think that many of us really lose track of that as well. And also lose track of how our emotions change over a month as well. And, And often we don't honor that enough, which is which is interesting but also again going back to the nervous system can put a massive strain on the nervous system you know particularly that week before our period when we mm. push 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 ourselves and the stress levels get higher and higher and the emotions get more and more and that can be hugely draining for our nervous system well, we've
1: just lost our rhythm, haven't we? We I have. We have just, just don't live with the rhythms. I mean, you know, the yeah. planet is burning. Yeah. We're all burning out. Mm-hmm. So but I think there's got to be a really, a real massive radical rethink about how we live, because how beautiful would it be to be able to live without rhythms? I've coined a phase called intermittent resting, and that's all about really respecting your ultradian rhythms, which are these internal rhythms that the organs have. And there's lots of different cycles going on as um, in the internal body, which we just don't really pay attention to. And just as in sleep, where you have um, 20 minutes of um, you know, you have a cycle of 90 minutes and 20 minutes of deep sleep and REM where you're kind of doing lots of processing, then we also need to live like that. So intermittent resting is all about breaking up your day between 90 minutes to two hours of action and then having a 20 minutes where you just download. So it could be gardening, it could be tidying up, it could be something where you're not really stimulating your brain, but something where you can be at rest. It could be meditating, but it sort of mimics that um, you know, act, active sleep of 20 minutes and then deep, deep sleep of 90 minute cycles that you travel through. So, and that's really helped me. I've been following that for about five years and that's really helped me in kind of um, marking out my day and deciding on what sort of um, activity I'm going to work on. So anything admin that will have to be in the morning for me and anything creative, I can kind of do that in the afternoon, which generally for me is rolling around on the floor <laughs> as, I, as I plan my sessions for different people. But yeah, kind of just really tuning in. I think this is a perfect time, isn't it? That we're at home and we've had this massive shock to our system to kind of really figure out what your rhythm is. And yeah, hopefully you can then continue that as you go back to work. I'm hoping though that most employees will understand that actually people have been much more productive and I'm hoping more people will just get into better work life kind of cycles as well. So that they're not feeling that they have to give their all to work because I think it's always a shame. I mean, you must see it too. I just think it's always just something toxic about our culture that you have to wait till burnout till you fix things.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely agree. And I love that pattern, you know, mimicking our sleep throughout the day in terms of pattern. That's just such a lovely way of looking at it. And actually, one thing which I've noticed for many people is actually they are so busy that they're not actually seeing those signs of maybe getting towards burnout. So I know you said earlier, often we are seeing those signs before we get to burnout. But I know that there's lots of people that are maybe just teetering on the edge of burnout, but actually they're maybe putting symptoms down to, oh, I did that. So I've got that, you know, they're not relating it to stress. And as we know, maybe 80 to 90% of our symptoms, if not more, are related to stress. What are the sort of main symptoms that you tend to see when working with people? of people that nervous systems are exhausted, you know, immune systems depleted? Are there any sort of, say, if I said three main sort of symptoms that you've noticed over the years, what Mm. would they be? Well, I'd say probably it's just
1: exhaustion, mm-hmm. not being able to sleep at night,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and gut issues. Yeah, yeah, is what I see. Um, and then other things, you know, coming sort of a little bit further down that list, but not that far, is people feeling quite angry, yeah. angry and helpless. I see, you know, quite a lot of my clients are women and women have to, you know, they're generally bearing the brunt of everything, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, So they're working from home, homeschooling, and also being the emotional containers for not just themselves, but everyone else. And they tend to do it by pushing their own feelings and their own health to one side, which again, why is that our model of, you know, being a mother or a nurturer means you have to do it at the cost of your own health. i You know, that's like, how did we get to that stage? So quite a lot of what I do is kind of re-educate people about how looking after themselves isn't selfish and actually you know if they're thriving they actually become very good role models for the people around them because I don't know if you've ever had that thing where you nag your husband to do something and of course you'll never listen but actually if you show (laughs) by example Mm -hmm. so if you show you know if you're calm because you have a personal practice and then that's your kind of daily routine you lead by example don't you and then slowly you sort of people start coming towards you and wanting to find out what it is that you're doing. There's a really disconnect, isn't there, between knowing things in your head and actually doing them. And I actually think we're in a bit of a cognitive dissonance at the moment because we're trying to carry on as normal, but we kind of know, physically and from a heart sort of led perspective, that actually things are very wrong.
0: Yeah, um,
1: and I think I think it's that that constant fight as well of knowing things aren't right, but still carrying on as normal. That is hugely stressful. You know, it's this low level stress, isn't it? Um, And we're all dealing with that. And actually I, I teach quite a few people with anxiety issues and I had anxiety many, many years ago. I was born and brought up in London, but I could never go on the tube. Sort of started in my early teenage years. Every time a tube station would stop in between tunnels, um, in between stations in a tunnel, I would just, my breathing would get really fast and I'd get very hot. And then I just thought I was going to suffocate. So it ended up that I couldn't, I couldn't go on the tube at all, which, you know, at the time before lots of people walked all over London, it was just seen as really weird. And so I really understand how you can let your anxieties get the better of you. Mm -hmm. And I often think that people with anxiety or depression are almost the truth seers. They almost see the world as it is, and it makes them feel anxious or down. And actually the rest of us have just got really, really good veils where we kind of have, you know, this little um, thing that will take our mind off it. And then that little distraction, that little distraction, we build walls and walls of distractions and shopping's a big one, isn't it? I remember my meditation teacher said to me, well, not to me, but to all of us, just kind of say, "Well, what are you going to do with your life if you don't all you know have this practice? You know what are you going to do? shop more <laughs> and it's like yeah you're right we've all been turned into consumers, you know passive consumers, and I think when you're passive in anything, that can make you feel anxious so one of the things that I do with everybody is you know of course i'll teach them breath because the breath is a remote control to your brain." But I'll also really encourage people to do something that feeds their soul, be it cooking or gardening or looking after somebody else, volunteering, but just something where you are either in community or you're in nature, or you're giving yourself some sort of meaning. Because I think another huge symptom of stress and the modern world is the who we are and what we do, not marrying up.
0: Yes, I agree completely. Losing sight of our purpose, our soul's purpose, you know, why we're here. Having a purpose, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And being true to that purpose as well, because I think many people might be aware in some way of their purpose or what they would like their purpose to be or what their calling might be, but for whatever reason, can't follow that path. And I think that alone can really put us into a state of stress, of mm. burnout, of anxiety, of depression. And something which I love that you talk about a lot is, of course, movement. I know you've been teaching yoga and, and somatic movement for many, many years, but You often talk about that sensing how you feel Hmm. rather than worrying about how it looks, which I think is so amazing because I think even when it comes to yoga, and I have a a daily yoga practice, and I can often fall into the trap of doing an online class where I'm being led through it or doing Hmm. a certain sun salutations movement just because it's my go to. Whereas the days where I just lay out a yoga mat and I just let my body move i don't think about it i just let it move are the most powerful practices for me because sometimes my body will move in quite a fast or strong way and Mm -hmm. other times i can find that i've just spent five minutes in child's pose and that's it Um, but tuning into what i need that day is hugely powerful on and off the mat of course but certainly On the mat. How do you guide people to move in terms of how they feel rather than worrying about what other people think they look like or what they think they look like or being led by what the latest exercise trend is?
1: Well, easier now that we've all had some time to be contemplative. Possibly it was harder in studio, not my studios, because you know I was the owner of the studio. So I, I had quite a good following. But -hmm. I'm sure if I'd gone to any other studios, it would have been really hard to build people up because again, we're just not used to going a bit slower. And how, how I do it is with breath. So you know, we have to change your state straight away. So you've come cold and here you are on your mat. So I'll get you to breathe and balance your nervous system or bring it into some sort of balance. And then we'll do some sort of exploratory um, somatic or Feldenkrais movement, series of movements. And what they allow, they're not exercise. So what they facilitate is for you to just explore how to do one thing many different ways. And then that will then flow into a flow. So maybe if I'm doing something around hip opening or hip mobilization, then it will be themed all around that. I mean, I don't really teach traditional flows, but there will be some yoga poses you'll recognize. By the time we come to that, you've pretty much established how you are for the day and how you are for this practice. And then there'll be lots of options So I, I, I'm not shy of strength. I like it very much, but you know, it doesn't always have to lead to very strong practice. It just has to lead to, I kind of like a very in your body experience because I think that is the thing that will really help us all just, you know, we, we spend so much of our time being disengaged from our bodies that actually feeling all of the feels Mm -hmm. (laughs) that come up for you. Is super important because I don't know about you, Daniel, but when I was younger, I spent, you know, again, brought up in London, I spent a lot of my time not feeling because it was, it was too much. It overwhelmed me. And actually it's exactly where you want to be. You want to be able to feel the stuff that comes up for you and kind of build this really safe container for your emotions and so I suppose that's my message to everybody when they come along to class or my one-to-ones. It's kind of like, actually, you've got it all going on. You've got it all within you. We just have to tap in. I kind of think it's a bit like fine tuning to your own radio frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we go around in, with white noise and buzzing and then slowly you come back to this thing and you know you found your breath and it actually feels really nice to breathe slower. So it's a lower, slower breath. And then you do these movements where you're held by the floor so your muscles can release and your bones can release. And when the bones release, they take along the connective tissue and then they take along the muscle as well so that you're not over-exerting this is an interesting thing about movement. I, I sort of, you know, it occurred to me the other day and has come up quite a lot in my teaching and my thinking is that we tend to throw range and force at movement. Yeah. And it's a bit like not knowing the words of a song, so you hum it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, because, it's a bit like, well, I don't have this range of experience with my body because all I've ever done is fight it and push it and beast it and whatever else we do in terms of fitness. And I don't have other language. I don't have other words for what I could be or how I could be. And so understanding that actually sometimes it's, well, how does it feel? And what is the quality of that movement? That brings something completely different to one's practice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that advice so much. And do you do these things within your own wellness practice, do you have like a daily wellness routine? Or do you, I mean, I'm sure you have lots of things that you do, but there are, are there any sort of what I call non-negotiables, you know, things that you go to every single day?
1: Yeah, there are for sure. So it's breath Mm -hmm. and it's the slow six by six breathing, which is really well known. And it's called, has many names, coherent breath or universal breath, breath of life. It has many different names. Lots of different people are teaching it, but it's A slow six counts in and a slow six uh, second count out. You do it all through the nostrils and I have a 20 minute practice of that. Again, I've been doing that for about five, six years and without a doubt that has kept me on an even keel, but also, you know, not immediately reacting to things. And I come from quite a volatile family and a background. And so that took me a really long time to sort of unpick it. And it's really different. It's really different than setting new rules on yourself. So I'm going to liken it to a meditation practice. So, you know, you often hear people like, I can't do that. I can't meditate. I can't sit still for so long, da, da, da. And it becomes because it's too rigid, I think. And it's rigid because, again, my little theory is that because meditation comes from monasteries and monks and all they all live in community, they share the workload and this is what they do. But actually, when you take it to real life and, you know, the sort of lives that we lead, sitting still and I suppose most people think about meditating is not thinking, which not isn't isn't true. But sitting still and kind of, you know, just letting your thoughts run amok or trying to push them away is a huge stick to beat yourself with. Yeah. Because it's just not possible. Right. Exactly. Is it? It's just not possible. No. Um, because actually I would I would posit that actually, rather than sitting up straight, sit how you want, be comfortable. Yeah. Um, Make sure the spine isn't twisted at all, you know, so that the fluids and the energy can flow. But actually, who cares how you sit? Why is there all these, you know, rules about it? Maybe somewhere along the way, you could start to be a bit more formal, but I'm very anti this whole kind of, it must be done like this or it isn't it, (laughs) you know, or it isn't real or it isn't a real practice. So I have to say in this pandemic year, two years, almost my meditation practice. And I had a good meditation practice of 20 minutes, 20 minutes a day is my perfect magic number anymore. And I'll get I'll get a bit cross, (laughs) you know, but 20 minutes. Perfect. I can do that first thing in the morning and I've replaced it wholly with my breathing practice. So for me, that's a non-negotiable. I just, you know, when I open up my eyes, I sit up and I do my breathing practice and I'm happy. I normally do it with a little puppy or a dog on my lap, which is great because then we both breathe together. (laughs) Um, So that's a non-negotiable and then some sort of movement. And again, in the pandemic year, lying on my back is probably where I'll start. Yeah. Where I could just kind of go, right, what do I feel? And I have a whole range of different things because I think sometimes we fetishize one type of movement, don't we? And then we're like, this is the best, this is what we're all doing. And actually, I think you need a range of stuff. And so that's been my kind of ethos all my life, really. So I run, I swim, I've got a power plate still because I, I used to, I, when I first started my studios, I was the first power plate studio in the UK. And and so I bought a little home one. I've got that, I use weights on it. I've got a trampoline, so I jump up and down on that. I've got a tapper, so I do some tapping. I do a little bit of Qigong sometimes. Yoga, of course, lots of Feldenkrais and somatic work. So I've just got a range of stuff that I'll draw on depending on how I feel. So breathing is non-negotiable and then a range of stuff depending on how I feel for that day. So if I have energy and I want some power, then I'll probably get on my rebounder. And if I'm feeling a bit sad about the world, then I'll probably lie on the ground yeah, and kind of start from there. So it's all very feeling based now, which I love, but you know, I still manage to, I, I do something every day, of course, and then getting out in nature every day is really important. So a little walk sometime in the afternoon. So yeah. those are probably all my non-negotiables made so much easier because we've all been at home, but uh, something of, that I kind of work my whole working day around.
0: I love that. I think that's amazing. And again, just brings home that message of listening to what you need each day. So you have those non-negotiables like the breath, but sometimes you may be grounding yourself and doing something very slow and sometimes something a lot more upbeat. And I think Mm. that's such an important message. And I also loved how you talked about taking away this rigid aspect of what we believe meditation should be because meditation is simply becoming aware, isn't it? So your meditation may be walking in Mm. nature or meditation, maybe lying on the ground breathing, or it may be just watching those negative thoughts are going through your head and not trying to fight them. So I think, again, that was such a important message that you brought up there. And and you've, you've shared so many wonderful, wonderful messages with us today. And I know that people are going to be absolutely dying to know where to get in contact with you, how they can join your session. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, I can. So I'm fully online now because it works for me. It works really well for my clients. There are people from all around the world now who can come. And I teach weekly live classes that you can join in with. And you can find them on my website, which is www.thehumanmethod.co.uk. I'm on Instagram, which is at thehumanmethoduk. And then I teach a lot of one to one. So I teach people specific issues and really everything from athletes right through to those with parkinson's and i have specific programs for people who have lots of anxiety issues or really want to do something about their stress management and as well as people with insomnia so kind of long-term chronic insomnia i can kind of help them as well once a month i hold class called sensing the breath and it's just a whole hour on breathing. And you'll probably be on the floor for that. But it's kind of a real somatic and somatic means of the body. So it's a somatic exploration of breaths. So They're not pranayama. It's, it's something quite else. It's very much your felt sense, because I think if we all lived in our felt sense, things would be pretty different around here. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. absolutely would. And can you remind us of your website and Instagram as well? So the website
1: is thehumanmethod.co.uk and my Instagram is at thehumanmethoduk.
0: Thank you so much. Nahid, you've been an absolutely amazing guest. I really appreciate all your advice. Thank you so much. Thank you, Danielle. It's been lovely to talk to.